back situation, as you can tell. It's very informal. You're like, wait a minute, man. Hey, take the backdrop off, yeah. Just take the backdrop off and hit the slide. So we're gonna talk about adversity today. Anybody ever been through adversity? Yeah? No, no, not me, never, uh-uh. But we're gonna talk about a couple of things, and um, uh, I don't know why I put this in the notes, but I put it in there. And I think that the church sometimes has to call out the elephant in the room. How many knows we're the light of the world? Can we agree with that? We're also the salt of the earth. Is that true? We're also a city on a hill. That is also true. We are the preservatives of the culture. We're also a beacon and a light that the world is supposed to look to for moral guidance, for justice guidance, and for right relationship guidance. That's what we are. And so that is part of the ingrained and inbuilt identity of the church. And in recent decades, we've pushed away from that. And we've decided that's not who we want to be. Because that's not going to win your friends and influence people, right? You're not going to win any popularity contests standing up for what Jesus said. Right? So we've just kind of retreated into our little caves. And we've just said, it's all about love. Ooh, it's all about love. My question to the believer, come on. My question to the believer is, what does love mean? From the context of the scripture, if we're going to say that all, the kingdom is all about love, which is true, then we better understand what love means. Love from the scripture standpoint, from the biblical standpoint, means to seek the highest good. And while the Lord tells us right and wrong, up and down, left and right, the things that he says are not always comfortable. They don't always give you that warm, fuzzy feeling. Sometimes Jesus says things that are very direct and to the point. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. It's very loving because he's actually talking to you in relationship to your highest good. His intent is to bring you higher. His intent is to show you the low level of your thinking, the low level of your actions, and his intent is to call you higher. If you have a kid and he wants to go out and play in the, in the expressway, and then you tell your son or your daughter, hey, get out of the expressway, and they go, mom, you don't love me because you won't let me play in the expressway. Are you loving because you told them not to play in the, are you unloving because you just pulled your kid out of the expressway? You know what I'm saying? So sometimes, you know, we play in the expressway. We're playing around with things that are going to hurt us, that are going to damage us, that are going to inflict a lot of pain on us, and we don't see the problem with it. My son, when he was younger, I tell this story a lot, he wanted Snickers bars and Coca-Cola. That's all he wanted, right? He couldn't understand why he couldn't have Snickers bar and Coke for dinner. He couldn't understand that. Yeah. And so my friend, I guess, to just really kind of poke at me, my buddy Ian, he would bring him a 12-pack of Coke and a box of Snickers bars for Christmas. That's what uh, Ian would bring him that. But as a parent, when I say, hey, you can't have Snickers bars and you can't have Coke, am I being unloving because I'm not giving him Snickers bars and Coke? I'm being, actually being loving by telling him not to have that because it's not, it's not according to his design, and it's not a very loving thing, or it's not a very developmental thing. What he's actually doing is going to hurt him. You guys with me on this? You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to give you the harder word when God speaks. We have a culture. I'm going to go, we're going to go two ways. We're just going to talk about the culture. And again, this is kind of like a, 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 a diverging message. The first message is kind of where the culture is. And then the second message is how we go through and what, we, what adversity is designed to do in our lives. But I want to talk a little bit about our culture. We have a circumstance. This is Israel. 
This is probably, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. The prophets were prophesying. What was happening is God's people had retreated away from their responsibility. God's people had become like the world around them. And in doing so, the Lord sent to them prophets to call them back to who they were. That's how much he loves you. He calls you back to who you were. He's not satisfied with you being who you want. God has created us to be a specific person. We have a destiny. We have a role to play. And what was going on in this world is they were calling good evil and evil good. And the prophet goes, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Woe to you who put darkness for light and say, no, that's not darkness, that's light. Woe to you who say light is darkness. Woe to you who say the bitter is the sweet and the sweet is the bitter. And so what was going on in a culture, and let me just do this little thing on righteousness, because I love to just insert this because it's necessary. The Lord is sovereign and king over all. He is. In his sovereignty, he's delegated responsibility to his people and to his church. So there are some areas where the Lord has released responsibility to you and me. We're the body of Christ. If we don't do it, it's not getting done. Just a thought. It's true. And then there are other areas where the Lord maintains his sovereignty and he doesn't share that. And he doesn't share when he's coming back. The day and the hour is not, we don't get to determine when Jesus returns and Jesus is coming back. The other area we don't get to determine is Jesus, we don't get to decide what's right and wrong. What? The Lord is sovereign over righteousness. Righteousness is what is right and wrong to the Lord. And what we do in our culture, in our society, is we, get, we think that we get to vote on what is right and wrong. Well, I think, and I feel, and I think, and I feel, well, we don't get to vote on what is right and what is wrong. The Lord alone determines what is right and wrong. Just, um, say this with me. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. What? We're passing all kinds of laws in a culture and in a society, and we're making all kinds of things legal. And just because we're making it legal, it doesn't mean it's moral. Just because we're making it legal doesn't mean it's right to God. And there's an inheritance. We're sowing into something. We're sowing into the flesh. And the Bible says if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption. You sow to the wind, and you will reap the whirlwind. You sow to the spirit, and you will reap life. And so when we pass laws and establish systems and, and, and cultures and um, you know, methods that appeal only to our flesh, what we're actually doing is we're going to reap the corruption of that action. And so what was going on in Israel is they, were, they had determined their own morality, they determined their own system of justice, and they determined their own system of idolatry. They decided who was God and who wasn't, and they were actually telling the Lord, we ain't got time for you, we want our own God. <coughs> and they were operating outside of God's created design. So, okay, I have a car. Y'all, anybody here have a car? Okay, so let's just play with a car for a minute, right? Your car says it runs on gasoline. If you put diesel in your car, what's it going to do? Is it going to work? If you put sand in your car, is it going to work? If you say, hey, I got an idea. The car's made to run on gas. I want to put water in the tank. How far do you think you're going to get? Not very far. We are designed and created to run and operate a certain way. We're not designed and created to operate on fuel and, and systems that are outside of a created design. God created us on purpose, with a purpose, and inside a specific frame and a design. And until we get that, and until we operate in that, first of all, our lives will never have harmony. You're never going to know your destiny. You're never going to know your purpose. Everything's going to continue to misfire until we learn to seek first his kingdom, until we learn to seek first what is right to him, his righteousness. That's what it means. Seek what is right to him, not what's right to you. Not what's right to the president, not what's right to the school, not what's right to a society, not what's right to a government. 
until we learn to seek his kingdom, what, his, what he wants, and then what is right to him, then and only then will these things be added unto us. Just a thought. So what's going on here is the people are living outside of God's design politically. They're living outside of God's design sexually. They're living outside of God's design judicially. The, judge, the court system was very corrupt. And they had created a caste system. So God sends prophets because he loves you too much to leave you the same. This is how good he is. He does not want, he, so he sends prophets to the people and says, listen, if you guys continue down this road, you're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose your freedom as a society. You're going to lose your freedom as a nation, and you're going to lose your freedom as an individual. These things that you're doing will lead you into slavery. These things that you're doing will lead you into bondage, and you will become a slave, and you're going to wonder, how did I get here? But the people went, nah, what do you know? <laughs> Just a thought. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the judges. They had a big corruption of, legal, of, le of their legal system became very corrupt. Judges were not ruling according to the law. They were, they were ruling according to their own prejudices, and they were ruling according to their own decree. Does that sound familiar? They had a, they had a justice system that was two-tiered. The elite and the rich and the powerful, they had laws that didn't apply to them. And the, the rest of us, or the rest of the people, had laws that applied to them, but there was a caste system where you could commit treason like our country, you could commit crimes at the highest level, and you wouldn't even be brought up on charges. That was what was going on. Sound familiar? Yeah. Whereas if an individual today did some of the stuff that our leaders do and our leaders have done and commit the acts and the crimes, you'd never see the light of day. Yet they don't even, they're not even, it's not even considered illegal what they do. They had created a tiered justice system and the Bible says, injustice is crying out from the streets. And here he's confronting the judicial system because it was all swirled and corrupted. And what it really was, was it was an oppression against the poor. The poor were brought into a system that they could not afford to be a part of. This is our legal system today. I don't know, y'all, it's going to cost you a minimum of $20,000 if you get involved in anything legally. You're going to hire a lawyer to defend you, it's going to be minimum twenty grand. Minimum. You're going to go through a process, and even if you go all the way to the process, the judge is going to get before a judge. The judge is going to rule against you, not according to the law, but according to their edict. And you know what they tell you? Oh, well, you can appeal. That's what they tell you. And if you appeal, it's going to cost you another $40,000 to appeal it. It is a system that takes the poor and throws them completely out of it. Anybody got $60,000 running around to defend themselves? No? It grinds against the poor. That's our justice system. That's why we see the poor and the disenfranchised buried by a system that grinds against the poor. And the elite walk on down the line. This is what's going on in Israel. This is, if you don't think God cares about this, you're completely wrong. He couldn't this is what he was crying out against Israel for, was their injustice. They made the people unable to access. They had no access to justice because they had no means by which to get it. They had, didn't have the money. They didn't have the representation. They, they had their rights violated. That's what we see today. We have an oppression of the poor. Justice became a sword and not a shield. Police officers wear a what? A badge, right? And what is it? It's a shield? It's not a sword, okay? My father was a cop for a lot of years. There's a lot of injustice, okay? And I'm, I'm pro-police. I'm on the side of the police. But when you shoot somebody seven times, 
You're not, you're not defending your life. You're trying to smoke that dude. Just a thought. When you unload a clip on a guy who just got up and ran, and you just go pop, 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 pop. He didn't threaten you. He just got up and ran. That's an injustice. And at some point, somebody's got to stand up and go, uh, that's wrong. And the ones who are supposed to at least say that's wrong are the Christians. It shouldn't be these organizations that are saying it. The church should be the ones going, that's wrong. It doesn't mean we're against the police. It doesn't mean we're against the society. It doesn't mean we're against the system. But when that type of thing is done, somebody needs to say, that's not right. That's not right. My thing is, you ever heard of the word taser? You know what I'm saying? Is there a non-lethal method that you can use? you got to go to the gun first. You don't just go to the gun. You unload it. Unload it. Is that right? What if it was your son? What if it was your daughter? What if it was your uncle? What if it was your aunt? We bring it home. We put it on our couch. Now all of a sudden it becomes something. My problem is is that our justice system has flipped on its head and it's become aggressive against the people instead of defending of the people. And that's exactly what was going on here. They were oppressing the poor. They were committing crimes and actions against the poor and there was no justice that was ever brought to them. And God is not for that at all. And I have no idea. There's somebody here that I had to put this in my notes for because this has nothing to do with where I'm about to go. But I was supposed to, I was like, okay. (laughs) Deliver the poor and needy. This is our job. This is what he's saying. This is what's going on, and this is what I want you to do. This is what's happening in your world, and this is what I want you to do. Show partiality. He says, defend the poor. Stand up for the fatherless. Do justice to those who are afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know. They do not understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth become unstable. When a culture tolerates injustice, and when we say that it's okay, what actually we're doing is we're eroding the foundation upon which the society stands. And we can, do, we can talk about morality, we can talk about sexuality, we can talk about class systems, we can talk about judicial systems in our court. What's happened is the church has retreated from its rightful place. We're the light of the world. We're the city on a hill. He didn't say you go live in a cave. That's not what he said. He said you're the city on a hill. People are going to hate you for my namesake. What's he mean by that? It means you're going to stand up for what Jesus says is right, and people aren't going to like it. But it's not what you say is right. It's what Jesus says is right. That's what he's talking about. And what happens is is when the church vacates its rightful place, the enemy comes in and occupies it and sits down. When it's our place within a culture to say, we are to lift up our voice, we are to say, look, that's wrong. You know, I'm, I'm not advocating political action committees or anything like that. What I am advocating is to at least say, hey, that's not right. That's not right. That should not, that should not be the way. That should not be that way. Can we agree with that? I'll be available in the back if you want to punch me later. So, <laughs> What are you talking about, man? <laughs> Next slide, please. The Bible tells us that adversity is going to come. It's going to come into our world, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. The issue isn't whether or not we're surprised. The issue is that we understand who the heck we are and what our role is in this thing. You know, adversity is going to come, trials are going to come, tribulations are going to come, things are going to happen, and we shouldn't be surprised. When the Christian remains silent, there will be no voice. Who's going to speak for the Lord? Who? Nobody. If we don't speak, who's going to speak? Who's going to speak? 
And we've pushed back because, oh, they don't like us, you know. Well, we've been, we've been, you know, speaking out, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, the church was speaking out. Now the church doesn't speak out at all because we're a bunch of cowards. Well, we just, we're just not really, we're ruining our witness. Ruining our witness, pastor. People don't, they're not going to like you anyway. You know, but we are called to stand for certain things. We're called to stand for truth and we're called to bring the light of Jesus Christ to the world. So we, we put it all over to salvation. But Jesus said it's not just about salvation. You're the salt of the world. You're the salt of the entire culture. You're the salt of the entire system. You're the salt of everything, not just that. I never talk this way, by the way. So if you're new to the church, it's, this, is a, this is a new lane for me. But uh, I just want to challenge you guys with that. And what's happening is, is there's an erosion that's happening. And the Christian needs to find a way. If our methods are wrong, then adjust the method. This is the key. If the method is wrong, then just adjust the method. But he never said retreat from it. You understand? If the way I'm saying it is not getting me where I need to go, that's fine. I need to adjust the way I'm saying it. But I, never, but I am to continue to say it. You understand that? If what I'm doing is not getting me where I'm supposed to go, then I need to adjust my methods, but I'm not to stop. You understand that? See the difference? We think we're just supposed to stop and we're supposed to retreat. That's not, the, that's not scripture. You're the light of the world, man. We stand up for what is right, and they're not going to like you. But he says, celebrate that, man. You don't have to be an idiot. You don't have to be a jerk when you're saying it. You just calmly say it. I don't agree with that. That's wrong. That's not correct. Somebody needs to do something about that. That's unjust. That's not God's heart. That's not God's way. That's not the voice of my father. That's not the heart of my father. And if we say anything that people don't like, then they call us bigots. They say, oh, you're unloving. Really? <laughs> Just depends on who you're loving. I love Jesus. I stand up for what is right to him, not because it's... It, here's a big thing, too. Let me, you guys want to be free this morning? Let me set you free. Woo! Let me set you free. All right, hold your chair. Pastor Kevin's going to say something, right? What's he going to say? If we're honest, okay, now I'm going to go back a few years because I've learned a lot of this stuff now, and now I'm okay with it. But when I first became a believer, there were things that the Lord said in the Bible, ready, that I didn't know if I agreed with it. You mean you read things in the Bible and you weren't sure if you agreed with it? Yeah. But you know what I did? I said to myself, well, Jesus is a little smarter than me. And if it's in there and he says it, even if I don't understand it right now, I'm going to position myself in line with what he says. Whether I think it's right or not. You understand that? It didn't matter what I think. He didn't ask me. Kevin, what's your opinion on this? You got any input? Anything you'd like to add to the conversation? He never asked me. And I had to make up my mind which side I'm going to be on. Am I going to be on my opinions? But there are things in the scripture that you don't necessarily agree with because you're lacking an understanding. You understand that? And ready? It's okay. It's okay. I wasn't too sure about some things. Okay? And I, I'm not going to get into it because I'll really, I'll really blow the whole room up if I start talking about the controversies. But, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> but I'm trying to give you some understanding that there's things that are going to be confronted in your own heart that you're not going to like and you're not going to necessarily agree with. You understand this? So there's some things he's going to say and you're going to, well, I don't know about that. I'm not too sure about that, but I'm a Christian, so I'm going to stand over here, even if I don't agree with it. And I'm going to believe God for understanding. I'm going to believe God that even if I don't understand it, he's going to reveal it to me. Because you know Why? I know his heart is good. 
I know what he wants is good. Even if I don't agree with what he's saying, because of my limited understanding, I'm going to choose to stand with it because I know his heart is good. And I'm going to stand with it until he brings me into understanding. And I can testify that everything I didn't understand and everything I didn't agree with, he's since clarified it to me. Because it's a relationship fostered over time. You understand that? We think if we don't get it right now, well, oh, who are you? It's a relationship that's fostered over time. God will lead you into the truth when he knows you're sincere about it. When he knows your heart is meaningful with it. He'll lead you. There's not one thing that he hasn't showed me. All the stuff I used to think was so controversial and I didn't agree with, he's taught me. And I'm like, wow, I was so dumb. You know, I realized how stupid I was. I was like, how would it? Just a thought. You guys with me? Throw stuff at me. I should give you guys some vegetables or something. You can start. It's crickets. Anyway, all right, so here's where we're going to go. How do we handle adversity? So we're going to talk about now we're going to make a shift, all right? So we're going to come out of this and we're going to come over here and we're going to make it personal. We're going to come into our lives. We have adversity in our lives in so many different ways, right? You, got, you know what adversity means? It means when things don't go your way. That's what adversity means. It's adverse, which means it's against you. You're thinking it should go this way and it's going that way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is adversity. How do we handle adversity? Well, the Bible tells us that adversity is normal. It's part of a system that is broken. It's part of a world that has fallen. We have a world that has fallen, so we have a system. When the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about a system, how things are done. So we have a, thing, a world where things are done, and in this world, everything's broken. We have greedy people. We have selfish people. We have systems that don't work correctly. So we have a broken system. We have broken people, and we have a bad devil, right? And your poor choices. That's why, oh yeah, uh-oh. That's why things happen. Things happen because we have a broken world full of broken people with a bad devil and you, and you make poor choices. Sometimes it, has, sometimes it has nothing to do with your choice. It just happens. Sometimes other people do it and it just happens. There's a whole system going on. Sometimes it's a, demo, it's a demonic attack. So I don't believe in the devil. Well, poor you. That's what I got to tell you. I don't believe in him. Okay. You know, the word occult means hidden. It's a whole purpose. So all you're doing is partnering with the very thing he wants you to do is not believe him, not to believe that he exists. Just a thought. Adversity is normal. When adversity comes, it inspects us. While God does not send the adversity, he will allow it to do a work in your life. Count it all joy when you fall into these things because God's going to do something with it. Just because adversity is coming on you doesn't mean that it's not, there's, a, there's a meaningful purpose that the Lord will do. One of the things adversity does is it searches you and examines you. Somebody said Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. Whoa. You want to see what kind of person a person is? You put them under adversity and stress or you deal with them on money. You will reveal, their character will be revealed clearly and quickly. Put them under stress and adversity or deal with them on money. That will reveal the heart immediately. Just a thought. <laughs> the Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives so that he can give each person his right reward according to how he's lived. So what adversity does is it shows us the things in us that are right and it shows us the things in us that are wrong. God is allowing things to be revealed in your heart in order so he can point to them. When Jesus is pointing to something that is wrong with you, he's not, say it with me, he's not trying to hurt me. He's trying to help me. He's the great physician. So when a doctor goes, hey man, you got a problem over here. Is that problem? Well, how dare you say that to me? 
how dare you tell me my, my leg's broken? Because he's trying to help you. You know you got a broken foot. No, I didn't know that. You know, how dare you say that? I'm offended that you tell me my leg is broken. Jesus is the great physician. He will reveal things in you in order for you to confront the thing that's your problem. Our problem is, is we don't want to know our major malfunction because we think it, it makes us less of a person. Jesus wants to show you your major malfunction until he can make you into a whole person. Biggest thing Christians got to do, say it with me, confront, confront. your junk. Your junk. Yeah. It's a holistic gospel, people, spirit, soul, and body. I'm going to give you a high five right here, Ingrid. Here we go. Here we go. We'll do a high ten. <laughs> I told him first service, I only need one. All I need is one, and it's, it's on. He's doing it to show something in your heart. He's doing it to reveal something from you. He's not working against you. He's working for you. So he's using adversity to show you. You got an attitude problem, Kevin. You have a patience problem, Kevin. You have a faithlessness problem, Kevin. You have, you have a prejudging problem towards other people in that arena. And here's what we do. Oh, no, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. What are you trying to tell me, Jesus, I got an attitude problem? This is it. And you know why? Here's why. Say this with me. Paradigm blindness means we are unable to see the very thing that is right in front of us. How dare you confront my paradigm blindness? And the Lord will go, you got an attitude problem. And we go, no, I don't, because we see all these areas over here. We'll see the six areas where we don't have an attitude problem. But he's not talking about those areas. He's talking about that one. He's talking about the area where you do have an attitude problem. And so say this with me. We, we self-justify. Your mind can convince you of anything your heart condemns. Your heart tells you it's wrong and it's true, and your mind goes, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Your mind will convince your heart of anything the Lord tells you is not true. you got to partner with it. you got to go, i got an attitude problem, Lord. Where is it? What is my problem? What is my malfunction? What do I need to change? What do I need to shift on? Why is this grading me? Why is this bothering me? Why? We don't want to do that because we think, well, how dare you offend me? Jesus is a rock of what? Offense. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So if you don't think he's going to trip you up and you don't think he's going to offend you, you don't know Jesus. You don't know who he is. Does he offend your personhood? No. Does he offend your dignity? No. He offends your pride. That's what he offends. He doesn't offend you as a person and he doesn't offend your dignity. He lifts you as a person and he lifts your dignity, but he will offend your pride every single time. Every single time he'll offend your pride. Crickets, crickets, crickets. He's going to trip you up. You're going to stumble over what he says and what he teaches, and he's going to offend you. He's a rock of offense. Next slide. But he offends you to change you. He offends you to get you to see something that you're not seeing. His heart is good and his heart is pure, and he is trying to get you into where you need to be. He's not trying to alienate you. He's not trying to separate you. He's trying to bring you further, and he can't bring you further because there's a problem. Crickets, crickets. <laughs> Y'all are quieter than first service, man. I thought I'd, I thought I'd dropped a bomb in first service. They were like, nobody's talking. I'm like, oh, man, I totally. Either I'm teaching something wrong or this is whatever. But anyway, he leads you into the desert. He allows you to go into adversity. 
See, doesn't Jesus see the adversity? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus would never send me into adversity. He sent the disciples into a storm. Did he bring the storm? No, but he let them go right into it. Ho, ho, ho. Well, if Jesus was with me, you don't want to get ahead of the Lord, Kevin. Have you read your Bible? You see how many times he sent his disciples ahead of him? All the time he sent them ahead of him. And here he sends them ahead of him into a storm. And it said they rode all night and the wind was contrary. He sent them into a storm so that they would see the deficiency of their strength. They would see that they don't have the power to move this thing. Did he bring the storm? No, nope, but he knew the storm was coming. So he said, hey, go into that adversity. Because I'm going to show you, you don't have what it takes. You wonder why your marriage blows up? Because he sent you into the storm. He knew your dysfunctions, and he knew her dysfunctions. And he brings the two people dysfunctionally together. Can I get a witness? <laughs> because he shows you, you can't do it. You need me. She, you can't do it. You need me. Ha ha. <laughs> he sends you to humble you and to test you so that it would be revealed what is in your heart. And he wants to know, when you go into this adversity, will you keep my word? He tests you to see if you'll keep his commandments. So he humbles you and allows you to suffer hunger. He knew it wasn't going to be anything out there. He knew there wasn't going to be any provision. He just wanted to see how you'd react to it. So that you would know that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He wants to show you what you're relying upon. Adversity reveals your reliance system. It, relies to you your, it reveals to you your system of dependency. What adversity does is shows you what you're leaning on. Oh, I lean on Jesus. Really? Let's go through adversity and let's see if that's true. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the rock of everlasting. That's where I stand. Yeah, let's go through adversity and let's see if that's true. When it all comes down, let's see if that's true. <coughs> this is what he's doing. He shows us what we're relying upon and he shows us what we're dependent upon. Yeah, that's fine. Say this with me. I want to set you free again. You guys want to be free again? We're going to take all the religious jargon off you. I'm going to give you permission to be a human being. Can we have permission to be human beings? I brought something back with me. A, a dry cough off the plane. So I was like, oh my gosh. I went to a series of meetings and Hank's like, did you bring anything back with you? I'm like, yeah. And I brought this cough back with me too. <coughs> <coughs> Stretch your hands towards the pastor. I'm just kidding. Anyway, it's okay. So the emotions, say this with me, the emotions that I feel in adversity are not the issue. The choices that I make in the adversity is the issue. In other words, you're going to go through adversity, and you ready for this? You are going to freak out. Oh, no, brother. I'm full of faith. I'm God's man of power for the hour. Then that adversity has not come upon you. Adversity causes you to freak out. And what we do as Christians is we don't want, we, well, that's just not dignified. That means if I'm feeling emotion, I must not be in faith. That's not what the Bible says. You're going to feel emotional pain. You're going to feel, you're going to freak out. It's going to happen. The, the issue isn't whether or not you feel the emotion. The issue is the choices that you make in the emotion. That's the issue. Jesus made you an emotional being. He made you an emotional creature. You're going to respond to things emotionally like everybody else but you're going to also have an ability to make choices that are outside of your emotions. That's what he's focused on. Do you guys understand that? 
you shouldn't be self-condemning and you shouldn't allow other people to be condemning upon you just because you're freaking out because you're going through something. We don't give ourselves permission in the church to freak out if, we have, if something goes on. We condemn each other. Oh, you're not in faith, brother. Well, if God's in faith, don't worry. God's going to work it all out. I know Jesus is going to work it all out, but right now I'm freaking out, man. I believe he's going to work it out, but I'm still freaking out. And I'm choosing to stand in faith in spite of the fact that I'm freaking out. You see the difference? I'm standing in faith, but I'm still freaking out. Well, if you, weren't freaking, if you were in faith, you wouldn't be freaking out. Wrong. Wrong. You can be freaking out and still be in faith. Totally true. Here's something. This is a psychologist. When we go through adversity, it creates in us intense, negative, emotional response. Intense, negative, emotional response. That's human. That's normal. We become angry. We become embarrassed. We become humiliated. We become depressed. We become hopeless. But adversity produces a grab bag of bad feelings, and it's not fun. David Kale's his name. <coughs> but in order for us to grow stronger, we must learn from these painful experiences. And in learning, we must create new habits and new choices so that when we emerge from the tr adversity, we have character traits, and we become better and more capable people. So what is he saying? He's saying that when adversity comes, you're going to flip. Why? Because everybody does. You're not, you're not the only one that's freaking out. It's, human, it's part of the human condition. But what he's saying is he's saying exactly what the scripture would advise you or counsel you. That in spite of the feeling, you make positive choices inside of the feeling. If you don't think Jesus doesn't like it, the Bible, the book of Psalms, they call it the book of psychotherapy. If you ever read David, David's freaking out. Okay, Read the Psalms. He's, have, he's freaking out. He's complaining and he's praising all at the same time. Oh, no, I just think the Psalms are a book of praise. Really? One of my favorite verses in the Psalms, you know what it is? Lord, they've hurt me, break their teeth in their mouth. Oh, that's a song of praise, is it? <laughs> Jesus is, David is just in a serene, zenful, worshipful position before the Lord when he writes that. I don't think so. They've hurt me, break their teeth in their mouth. What, and then he goes, but I will, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I know I want you to punch him in the face, Lord, but I will trust in you. I know you want, I want you to burn their houses down so there's nothing left, but I will trust in you. That's how he's talking. Read your Bible. He's okay with your emotion. You just got to make positive choices. Next slide. Pain can cause us to appreciate what we don't have and see new possibilities. So when you have pain and you have loss, what you do is you start having value for what you do have. When doors close, you start seeing that there's another door open, and that door would have never opened had that one not closed. That's what adversity does. Adversity corrects us. Sometimes we make stupid decisions. Can I get a witness? And so the adversity that comes upon us by the choices that we make, God allows the adversity to correct us. God corrects his children. If he doesn't correct us, then we're not really his child. You keep going, I'll go skip down. It says, and I, I, the Lord, will shake the heavens and the earth. What, it, what God allows adversity to do is shake the house. He shakes what you built. So you built this thing. We build castles of sand, right? We build our little seashell houses and our castles of sand, and we go, well, isn't that wonderful? And the Lord will allow adversity to come in and shake it until everything that you've made has fallen off, and what he has placed in you is you're going to learn and see that that's the only thing that remains, and that what we learn is that what God has placed in us, that's what we can build on. Some of you, you, you built a life, and that life has just completely exploded. And you're here because you have nothing left but Jesus. 
Do you know why? The foundation of the house has been shaken through the adversity, more than likely through your choices, and so now all that's left is a foundation, but that's okay, because Jesus can build. Whatever's left, whatever he puts left, and whatever's left with you is everlasting. What Jesus adds and embeds and puts in your life, you can build on that. The problem is, is what we build with. We build with all kinds of stupid things. Next slide. <coughs> let, we're sitting on the living room couch here this morning. We're just talking like friends, right? Okay. <laughs> Adversity directs us. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to change us. Yeah. I thought about my life, the psalmist said. I went through some painful things, and you know what, you know what the pain caused me to do? It caused me to reflect upon my life. What? Where am I? How did I get here? Is this really where I want to be? Where do I want to go? Pain causes us to reflect on our lives. We only learn by being burned. Can I get a witness? Somebody said, we change when we see the light. The other guy says, no, we change when we feel the heat. (laughs) I see the light. No, you're not feeling the heat. The heat makes you change. Adversity protects us. Sometimes small problems keep you from bigger ones. Sometimes the removal of people, places, and things from your life, albeit painful, is actually working towards your good. It's actually doing something of a higher value. You say, oh, but I like that person. Why'd you cut them out of my life? Why'd you let that person leave my life? Because they're destructive to you. This is why. Adversity protects us. Next slide. Going fast now. Sometimes adversity happens, and I want to share this, and you've done nothing wrong. You've done nothing wrong. This is big. People go, I don't understand what I did wrong. You might have done nothing wrong. You may not have done a thing wrong. It just happens. And that's what we got to take. We can't throw all the response. Well, God's doing this to me. The Lord's not doing anything to you. Some, stuff just falls out of the sky. Look at this guy named Joseph. Joseph, you want to talk about a life? Joseph had a word from heaven. Prophetic vision, prophetic vi- dream, He's going to be the ruler. His parents are going to bow to him. All his brothers are going to bow to him. He used to go out in the field and work, but his father loved him so much that his father said, you don't have to go out and work. All your brothers can go out and work. And so Joseph hung out at the house in his Versace robe, (laughs) holding on to his drink with a little bamboo thing in it. His brothers would come home. He'd be like, oh, he had a coat of many colors. So he had an amazing robe. So I'm using like this silk Versace thing. And so his brothers would come home from the field. and He'd go, oh, how was the field? Did you guys work today? What'd you do today, Joseph? I was worked on my tan, you know? <laughs> Caught up on my literature, so his brothers hated him. And so his brothers turned against him. Wouldn't you hate that guy? You're out there slaving, busting rocks, sowing fields, cleaning up after sheep, and, of all, and every other brother's doing it except him. And you come home, and he's in a silk robe, you know, coming out from the pool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Getting his nails done while you come home. You're like, what? And it all happened to him. But he did nothing noticeably wrong, and he ended up in a bad position. And even when he was in a bad position, you know what he did? He still did the right thing. He honored Potiphar, then he was accused of rape, thrown in prison. Then when he's in prison, he honors the people he's in prison with, the butler and the baker. He honored them, and it still didn't go right for him. So adversity challenges you. You know when it went right for Joseph? Because God was doing a work and allowing these adversities to do a work in him in order that Joseph could hold greater things. It all changed for Joseph with a little verse in the book of Genesis that said, Joseph shaved. That's where it all changed. Joseph shaved. What do you mean, Joseph shaved? To a Jew, you didn't shave unless you were a slave or you were a pagan. You did not shave. 
And so Joseph, for the first time in his life, presented himself as a servant. He presented himself humbly, and the whole story pivots. At how many other points in that story, if you follow the life of Joseph, could that story have pivoted? It could have pivoted at so many other points, but it didn't because Joseph wasn't humble enough. Joseph was like, I'm the, I'm the rock star, man. I'm the dude with the Versace. I'm the dude with the dream. It's all about me. I shouldn't even be in this place. You guys are beneath me. Why am I here? Until he humbled himself and presented himself to a people he didn't like, ouch, and stood in a position that he didn't want, ouch, and he served. He served a people he didn't want to serve, and he served a position he didn't want to serve. Maybe that's why you haven't gotten a promotion, Christian. Maybe that's why that job you've been wanting for hasn't happened, because you will not serve the people you don't want to serve. And you will not take a position of servitude that you do not want to have. Just a thought. Try presenting yourself as a slave and believe in God for something else. He was exalted to the second person in the kingdom. He did nothing noticeably wrong. God was, say it with me, Jesus uses adversity to position me through the process. The process of adversity is designed to position you. He's trying to not keep you from something. He's trying to be able to put more glory on you. He's trying to build your character so that he can give you more. This is who the Lord is. We got to change our paradigm of how God is. That we, we have these negative paradigms, this negative way of thinking about who he is. When if you don't understand his heart, the father heart, if you don't understand the father heart, you're not going to understand him at all. When he's keeping nothing from you, he wants everything for you. If you don't get that, he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He's trying to exalt you, not diminish you. That's what he's doing. That is his heart. That is his nature. That's what he's doing. And if we don't understand that, we will never respond to him correctly. We won't. Well, we won't. We'll have a false sense of who he is. So how do we respond in difficulties? Here's my last one. Ready? This is one. I told first service this. If you can get this one, if you can get just this one thing, if you ever get anything out of this church, ever, at any point, at any time, if you get this one thing, it's going to help you more than anything else in your life. This one thing. <laughs> What was that show with uh, Curly or, or the, when he went on that Wild West, Billy Crystal? What is it? City Slickers. He goes, thank you so much. Right over there, Shelly. Boom. He goes, you got to do this one thing. And then he dies on the horse without telling him the one thing. What is the one thing? Honor the Lord. Say it with me. When in doubt, honor the Lord. Don't honor you. Don't honor other people. Don't honor systems. Don't honor things. Honor the Lord. What is the most honorable thing? before the Lord? That's the question. Honor the Lord. How do we respond to difficulties? Re honor the Lord. Learn from experience. Allow change to, allow things, the experience to change you for the better. Let it change you. And I know it's hard. As one who's been through many difficulties, and I feel like I have had the skin pulled off of my body. I'm being very graphic here because sometimes this is how I feel. I feel like I've been crushed to powder you can run your hand across my heart and you can feel the braille of all the stabs and the cuts that I have. Okay? I know how hard that is to learn from the experience. That's why I can faithfully say to you, it doesn't matter your emotions and the adversity. It only matters your choices. Because I would literally be freaking out. And the Lord would be like, I'm cool with you freaking out, Kevin. That's all right. You're freaking out. Great. Get, the, get all that out of you. Yeah, get it all out. Yeah, freak out. Pace the floor a little bit. All right, you done? All right, let's make some wise choices now. That's what he does. 
Respond creatively. Use your pain for something productive. If you don't know who this guy is, Paul Klee is a watercolorist, famous painter. Anybody, anybody know who Paul Klee is? Only me? Okay. I paint my pain. He paints his pain. Right? And he says, I create, otherwise I would cry. Ha <laughs> ha. Use your pain for something creative. Maybe you're not going to paint, you know, but if you've been hurt, then use that pain as a motivator to help other people. You see what I'm saying? Use it creatively. That's how it works. So hopefully you guys got something out of this. Yeah. We're going to pray, and we're going to dismiss. I'm a little long, so thank you guys for sticking around. Tried to bless you. Tried to make it worth your while, because it's always worth your while. You never waste in time when you're before Jesus. You're stewarding time. You're stewarding time. It's like you said to Mary and Martha. You know, Mary's got all these lists. I got all these things I got to do. And she sat, or she, or Mary sat at his feet. Said she has chosen what is needful. The things you got to do are always going to be there. But when the presence of the Lord is in the room and he's speaking, come on. Come on. Yes. Let me pray for you. I just want to do this real quick. If you're here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance. When you give your heart to Christ, you come out of something and into something. You come out of a, an, a, an abandoned environment and you come into a family. You come out of a place where it's all about you or it's, it's, you're, you're left only with yourself and now you're brought into something where the power of heaven is now with you. You can be forgiven. You can have your guilt, your shame. Everything comes off your life. You're changed in a moment. But in order to become part of the family, you've got to give your heart to Jesus. People say we're all God's children. No, we're all God's creation. Only those who receive Christ did he give the power to become the children of God. So we're just going to pray. And all I ask you to do is open the door of your heart and pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray together as a group. Because we're all together and we're family. Let's just pray this. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. And let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if